Hey everyone, Alan Smithson here. Today we're speaking with Courtney Harding, founder and CEO of Friends with Holograms, about their full-service VR and AR agency that focuses on soft skills training and best practices for creating powerful content that delivers results. All that and more on the XR for Business podcast. Welcome to the show, Courtney. Oh, thanks for having me. It's my absolute pleasure. I'm so excited to have you on the show. You guys have done some incredible things and you've been a pioneer in this industry for quite some time, but I'll let you talk to everybody about how you got into this and where you are now and where you're going. Yeah, great. So I got into VR about almost five years ago now, which is crazy to think about. I have a background in the music business and specifically I was a journalist. I wrote for Billboard. I was an editor there for quite a while. I then went into the music tech space right around the time Spotify launched in the US. There was a great music and tech ecosystem. You and I have a very similar background. Oh, funny. I, I was a DJ for 20 years and then created the, the emulator, the DJ uh, touchscreen. Oh, cool. Yeah. And then I got into VR. I was like, what? <laughs> Go on. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was like, wow, this is great. No, it's great. Yeah. And so anyway, so I, I did music tech stuff for several years. I was a, you know, I led business development and strategy and partnerships for a couple different startups. And then I saw this VR piece at an art museum about five years ago, and it really broke something open for me. And I was fascinated by it. So I spent about a year, I was still on contract with a, a music tech company and I was still writing at the time. So I, I wrote about VR. I learned about VR. I met a lot of people. And in 2016 at South by Southwest, I did a panel on music and virtual reality. And one of my other panelists was this guy, Kevin Cornish, who's starting a VR production company. He's a VR director. And he and I had a really nice conversation. We hit it off. And I joined his VR production company, leading business development strategy. I worked there for about a year and a half. I learned a tremendous amount. It was a very, very intense experience um, and a very gratifying one. And then I split off to do my own thing. And so Friends with Holograms has been around for about two years now, sort of in its current incarnation. And uh, in those couple of years, we've done a lot of different projects, which I'm really proud of. Sort of our, our best known project is the Accenture Avenues project. So we worked on that with Accenture. And the backstory behind that is pretty fascinating. So Accenture came to us, I believe, right about two years ago now, right when we were first starting and said, we have this idea, we want to do this really amazing social work training project. And would you like to bid for it? And we, of course, said yes. So we bid for it and we were awarded it in the spring of last year. And then everything kind of went quiet for a while. And we were working on some other projects and I just kind of in the back of my head thought, okay, it got canceled or it got changed around or somebody left. As much of a bummer as it is, that stuff happens. And then in June of last year, I got a call from my contact at Accenture who said, oh yeah, the project's back on. Want to, let's chat about it. Do you still want to do it? And I said, yes. And so I get on a call with her and she outlines the project, which is very ambitious and really groundbreaking and has an incredible mission and a two and a half month turnaround. <laughs> and I thought, okay, here we go. Hurry up and wait. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that, I mean, that is the experience working with any big company, I think at this point, but yep. you know, that was a, a really amazing project. So we dove in head first. We produced a 20 minute long voice activated VR training piece for social workers. It is a branching narrative. So the bulk of the piece, you're asking questions of different family members the question that you ask determines the answer that you get. So there's all these different paths you can go down and there's all these different levels of learning because not only are you learning to actually do family interviews, 
you are also learning about how to ask the right type of questions. And there's a lot of sort of visual cues in there as well. It was an incredible opportunity. It took years off my life, but it was very worth it. And so that piece came out just over a year ago. That piece won Best VR AR at Mobile World Congress, beating uh, China Mobile and Huawei, which is kind of insane. It was a finalist for a South by Southwest Innovation Award. We did a ton of demos at South by. The second chapter of that piece uh, came out uh, last month, and it's now being used by a number of different social work departments across the U.S. And I just found out yesterday it was shown in Germany. So it's an amazing project. We're incredibly proud of it. We're incredibly proud of the work that we did. So that's been sort of two of our larger projects. Another big project we did was for a company called DDI, which is a learning and training company. They came to us with an interesting problem to solve, which is they do a lot around workplace inclusion and workplace exclusion and training around that. And their challenge was that a lot of sort of older corporate executives hadn't really felt excluded in the workplace. So they had no really incentive to do this type of training. Like it wasn't real to them. The feeling of workplace exclusion wasn't real to them. So we created this piece called Can't Win and you're in a meeting and it is, again, it's voice activated. And the sense is one of frustration, right? You are getting talked over and you're getting ignored and you're getting talked down to. And it's very, very subtle though. So by the end of the experience, we've demoed it for a lot of people and they're just like angry, but they get it. They get that feeling. So that piece was a top HR product named that by HR executives. So that's been really rewarding and that's been a lot of fun to work on. We work with amazing directors. Uh, Kevin Cornish directed the Accenture pieces. Gabo Aurora, who's directed stuff for like the UN and the New York Times, directed the DDI piece. So that's a big sort of core part of who we are is making stuff that's really high quality and cinematic. In terms of consulting work, we've consulted for Verizon. We've consulted for Coca-Cola, mostly on the augmented reality side of things. We have done some work with the Air Force on voice-activated pilot training. Uh, We've done some work with Unity, building augmented reality projects, and we are in the process of signing an agreement with a very big retailer, and I can't say which one yet, TBD, but it's it's something we're incredibly excited about. So things are pretty good. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So now, now these are these three hundred and sixty branching narratives. Is that what this is, or or CGI? Uh, Not CGI. So that actually dovetails perfectly with the second thing I wanted to chat about, which is best practices. So these are 360. They're shot in different ways. So in some cases, the actors are shot against a green screen and composited into a 360 background. In some cases, it's a full 360 shoot with, again, the voice interactivity built in. So we have, as a company, several core principles for our soft skills work uh, in particular. All right. Let's get into yeah. it. Yeah. So the first one is... This is the good stuff right <laughs> here. We, we now know what they do, but now how do they do it? Yes. Yeah, so we're, we're, well, and this is all stuff. I mean, you would see this just by watching our stuff. So it's, it's not like I'm revealing too much. But um, so the first one is it has to be realistic and you have to use real people because CGI characters, no matter how good they are, and I've seen some pretty good ones, you still know that they're not real. And there's something called the Uncanny Valley where... It's a little bit of your brain sort of knowing that a CGI character is not a real person. So you lose a lot of like the intimacy and the realism when you're talking to what is essentially a cartoon character. You mean firing Barry is not going to be as real? No, I mean, it's not. I think it's, it's a high quality game engine character, but it's not like talking to an actual person. So that's the first thing, right? And that's our sort of core principle as a company. And that's for soft skills, obviously for sort of hard skills and for sort of fun and games and commercial stuff. That's a very different story, right? 
But for soft skills training, it has to be very, very realistic. We cast mostly actors and actresses from the theater world because we find their level of sort of emotion and delivery is the best for VR. And they're also really good at not needing multiple takes because shooting multiple takes in VR is very different than shooting multiple takes in 2D just because of how it gets cut together. So that's the first thing. The second thing is the interactions have to be as realistic as possible. So I have a lot of headsets. I'm sitting in my office right now looking at all of them. And I cannot wait until the day that I can take all my controllers and like run over them with my car. Because <laughs> we're actually going through this. How can we get the hand tracking in Oculus Quest? <laughs> well, so yeah, the hand tracking quest is going to be amazing. I'm really excited for that. But more to the point, when you're doing soft skills work, the controller is useless. Because again, when I talk to you, I don't point a controller at you and click. That's absurd. I talk to you by using my voice. And so everything that we design for is with voice prompts. So you need to use the controller to start the experience because that's a function of Oculus, not anything we have control over. But then you put the controller down. And what we've seen is that opens it up to a much wider audience because there is no worse experience than feeling incompetent in VR. You're already in a headset. It's already kind of weird. You feel a little self-conscious already just given the nature of the technology you know, being strapped to your face. So the worst thing you can do is make someone feel even more scared and confused. And a lot of people including myself, are not video gamers. They've never used these controllers before. So the single worst experiences I've ever had in VR have been the experiences where someone has stood over me and barked orders at me, click here, click here, now teleport here, now click this, now click this. And I'm, I just, I'm like, no. And I just walk away because if you want your experience to have any sort of scale or, or wide adoption or usability, you can't be hanging over someone telling them a million times to click a thing, right? That's, your, your product is rendered useless because of that. So we, do, we use voice, we use gaze, like these are natural human interactions. And also we keep people immersed as much as possible. So another very common trope in VR training stuff is these quizzes, which are so bad. They remind me of like a bad 80s teen TV show where like the character was sort of freeze frame, break the fourth wall, take a little quiz about like, should he ask Susan to the prom or not? right? I mean, it's, it's ludicrous design. It's not real. I would love to have like a break to quiz every time I try to make a life decision. Guess what? I don't have that opportunity as cool as it would be. So the idea is you don't break the immersion. You use voice or gaze or other sort of natural ways to move the story forward, move the narrative forward, move the training forward so that you're not jerking people in and out of the immersion all the time. And so again, those are just our three main core design principles. Obviously, we design custom for each client. As an agency, we, we don't have a pre-built product. We have vendors that we like, vendors that we enjoy working with, but none of them are exclusive partnerships or relationships. We have no financial interest in any of them. So we are able to come into our clients and say, what is your problem and how can we solve it? Right? So that's very different than a lot of product companies, which are selling sort of off-the-shelf, one-size-fits-all solutions, which certainly have their place. Right, They really have their place for certain companies and certain markets. But what we can do is really come in with, again, these core design principles. But from there, we're wide open. So if somebody says our problem is XYZ, we start with that problem. We're not trying to like shoehorn our solution into it. We're starting with like, what is the holistic view of the problem? And then how can we use this technology to best solve it? I love it. And that, it's an interesting way to approach it because everybody else is saying, oh, hey, we've built this product and we'll sell you this product, but 
if even if it doesn't fit your exact needs or the problem that you're trying to solve, we're going to sell it to you anyway. Well, they're not, though, is the thing, because if it fit their needs, the company probably won't buy it. <laughs> well, I mean, or they'll buy it and then it yeah. won't fit their needs and then they go, well, VR sucks. And that's the end of that. Yeah. I mean, that's been the hugest barrier for us. Bad VR, right? <laughs> yep. And we're not talking about Suzanne Borders no, company. Haha, no, we're not. We're talking about like, I think a lot of companies underestimate what it takes to make VR, both from a financial perspective and a technical perspective and a creativity perspective. And they try to do it in-house and that fails or they, they don't know what they're doing. And so one value that we really provide is like, we know what we're doing. We're subject area experts in virtual reality. Mm -hmm. We're not subject area experts in what company X, Y, or Z is working on. So we collaborate very closely with our clients on their subject matter. But we know how to build VR. And we know, again, what works and what doesn't in VR. And I think a lot of companies tried to make VR maybe on their own, or they worked with people who weren't experts in the space, and they got burned. And I think that's been a really big challenge for us to overcome when you talk to people and they say, oh, I did VR once and it made me sick. And it's kind of explaining to them, well, that's not VR, that's VR that's not done well. But explaining to them that like, look, this stuff is not going to cost you the same as it costs you to make a training video, right? It's a completely different level of production and interactivity and design. The flip side is, and there are so many statistics and, and I don't know if we have time to go into all of them, but like VR works far more than any other type of training out there. And we've seen that time and time and time again, it scales better than any other form of training out there. This is something I've been talking a lot about recently, because I gave a talk on this at the uh, Northwest Arkansas Tech Summit. VR is the best thing that has happened to workers, right? Because they are now able to use VR to train to do their jobs better. And it is empowering to workers to be able to do their jobs better. It's great for bosses, because bosses have better trained workers. And when you look at what is the cost of VR, which is, which is fine, people have to think about their bottom lines, but what is the cost of a poorly trained worker? Best case scenario, a poorly trained worker just kind of messes some stuff up and there's productivity issues and maybe they are unhappy and they leave and then you have to hire someone else. And these are all costs that are associated with not training your workers well. And then you get into the soft skills training and we work a lot on sexual harassment and, um, you know, that's a black eye on the company. First of all, because you're going to get sued. Second of all, I mean, I wouldn't work at a company where women were mistreated. And I think that's many women feel that way. So you're losing a tremendous amount of talent. And then you go all the way up to situations where workers can be maimed or killed. And then, of course, that's hugely negative. Mm -hmm. So it's really looking at when you balance out the costs and the benefits, you have to look at the numbers about how much better VR training actually works and then ask yourself, well, what is the real cost of people not being trained well? Well, let, let's talk about the actual cost and then we'll work backwards. What does something like this cost? That is like a question that's basically impossible to answer without any sort of... A how long is a piece of string? Yeah, exactly. It's how, how much does a movie cost, right? I mean, I can make a movie on my iPhone for nothing, the cost of an iPhone. I can, you can make a Marvel movie that costs millions and millions and millions of dollars, right? All right. So let me rephrase that. When you meet with a customer and they want to do soft skills training, what is the range by which you quote them? Because 
at the end of the day, somebody has to make a decision on how much it costs. So that's dependent on a number of factors. And I'm not trying to be squishy here. Well, no. What are some of the factors so people can... What is the creative, right? So is it a sort of linear narrative? Is it a branching narrative? What is the... That makes a big difference, I would assume. Huge, huge difference. What is the level of interactivity? Is it a couple different voice prompts? Is it a conversation? Is there gaze activation? Is there something tactile? Like, what is the interaction? How many actors do we need? How many locations do we need? Where are we shooting? Who are we shooting with? How long is the piece? Because that impacts production time. How many video files are associated with the production? Because that's production cost. How long is the script and how intense is the script? Because we hire writers and we work on a lot of the scripts ourselves that cost money and scripts need to be designed for interaction in VR. So the different voice platforms we work with need different things to be in place. So it needs to be scripted a different way if we're using a different voice platform so that the voice platform will work. Obviously, you can't have people reading incredibly long questions because that's a readability issue and on and on and on. So it's really this kind of like holistic package that people need to consider before they... So how do you scope this with a customer then? You sit down, you figure out what the problem is. What does that look like? So we actually have a separate product that deals with that. The way our flow works is we get introduced to someone, we do a capabilities call, a capabilities meeting, a demo session. Like that's all sort of just our business development. And once there is a pretty firm interest, we have something called a VRAR jumpstart. And that's a one week program. It's five days. We embed, ideally we embed in the office of the client. If that's not feasible, we have done some over Skype or video chat. Generally, we like to be with the clients. And the VRAR jumpstart is just like a flat fee for one week. And it's two people and we come to you. Day one is... What does something like that cost? So the VRAR jumpstart is 20000 Yeah, okay. So 20000 and it gets you going? Yeah, so the 20000 is basically, here's what it gets you. Yep. Day one is what is the problem you're trying to solve, right? Because a lot of people still don't really have a clear sense of what VR is best for. So they'll say, oh, we want to do this because someone else did it in VR. Or we want to solve this problem that is very broad. And so we're defining the problem, right? We are like, what exactly do you want to get out of this? What are your KPIs? What are your measurements? What's your budget? Everything. So that defines it all. Day two, we work on the creative and we, we work on the script. So what does this concept look like? How many people are involved in this? What are the interaction points? And then we start writing, not the final script, but a skeleton of the script. Day three, we get a bunch of people from your office who did high school theater, and we put them in a room with a 360 camera, and we shoot a basic prototype. It's a way for us to sort of work out like the blocking and the scripts and the interactions. And obviously, we're not building something that's fully interactive in a couple of days, but it at least gives us the opportunity to check our own work. Day four, we like go off into a little side office and we auto stitch the footage. We obviously we can't build something fully interactive, but we like dummy in whatever interactions there are. So it seems kind of natural. And then day five, we user test. So the client brings in four or five different people who are users or representative of the users and they go through and they test it and they give us their feedback. What the client is left with at the end of the week is an MVP that is by no means ready for prime time but is something that they can show to their boss and they can say, here's user feedback, here's sort of the, the first draft of this. And then that's kind of the end of that initial engagement. And then the second part of the engagement, once it's fully funded, is then we do the whole big thing. So we revise the script, get it to the final point. We hire the director, hire the cast, do the shoot, do all the production, do all the post, do all of the design for whatever interactions there are. 
and then we deliver a fully finished product to the client. That's awesome. Yeah. What a great process. It, it saves a lot of time. And we've been kind of down this road a few times and this seems to be a great way to save a lot of time for, for a customer and give them something that they can go and get buy-in from the higher-ups. Yeah, for most people, VR is still very theoretical at this point, and they haven't seen a lot of good examples. And maybe they've only seen like VR video games, which are fun, but if I'm a CFO or, or CIO or something of a company, I'm not going to immediately sort of link, okay, my, my kid's zombie shooter game to what can we do in training. So... I mean, a lot of what we do still to this day is just demoing for people, right? We spend a lot of time putting people in headsets and that's great. I do think that's going to change as the headsets are more widely adopted. I also think that's a huge barrier for us. So we were on the call with a a big telecom company, and I won't say which one, and they had brought us in to chat with them and do this big group call because they really wanted to do VR. They'd heard their competitors were doing it and they were like, oh my gosh, we have to do VR now. Our, Our I get that a lot. We went to my CEO went to CES and he needs VR ASAP. Oh God, I know. <laughs> so anyway, so we were on this call with them and or even leading up to the call, I said, I'm happy to share some work with you. We can share our work to your Oculus Go headsets. If you just let me know the address, like I'm happy to share it, send some examples to you. And the person I was talking to said, oh, we don't have an Oculus Go. And I thought, you know, I'm kind of tempted to cancel this call because an Oculus Go costs $200. You can buy it on Amazon, you can buy it at Best Buy, you can buy it a lot of places. If you are serious about investing in VR as a company, and you're going to put down a reasonable amount of money, you should at least spend $200 to buy a headset. And that, to me, is kind of the mark of people who are serious about this stuff, as opposed to just like, oh, yeah, somebody saw it at CES, wouldn't it be neat, right? So that's been kind of my, my marker at this point as to who I'll sort of seriously take meetings with, is if you're not willing... What a great way. What a great barrier here. Go buy a VR headset. We'll send you some content to take a look at. Then we'll have a meeting. Yeah, I really should have like a rep shirt deal with with Oculus, right? (laughs) I'm not asking people to buy a Vive and a gaming computer and a this and a that. Like I fully understand that people don't have those. Those are very expensive and great, but they're expensive and they're, but this is the type of thing where to me, it kind of separates out who's serious and who isn't. And it's not a hard and fast rule, certainly. For, for me, like I have to kind of look at other factors of are these people serious or not, but it's a little bit more of like constantly reminding myself that a lot of us are sort of much further out ahead than most companies. And what's interesting to me is that a lot of companies are just kind of like letting it pass them by when their competitors are really crushing it. Walmart's a great example. Walmart has invested a lot into training in VR and they've had a tremendous amount of success. And Target, Costco. But here's the thing. With any new technology that disrupts, I mean, how many companies didn't have a website for years and years and years? yeah. And then all of a sudden, if you didn't have a website, you weren't on the map. And and I think the same is going to happen with VR and AR training. Because it is such a big difference between your regular training, whether it be paper manual or e-learning or whatever their current learning is, when you put it in spatial computing, when you put somebody in a headset and hijack their entire senses, it is exponentially better. Oh, yeah. And so companies like Walmart, they get it because they are way ahead of it. And it'll come to a point in the next three years, I think, where every company, if you don't do it, you're going to be left behind. Yeah. I mean, your, your example is spot on. And it's funny. So I remember right when we were first starting out, I had a meeting with this big agency that we're now probably going to do some work with. 
And the, my contact there led me out to the elevator after our meeting. And he said, look, I worked at agency.com in the 90s for years. And I was pitching companies about building websites. And everyone would say stuff like, oh, the internet's a fad. Or, oh, we're in the yellow pages. What do we need a website for? And like every excuse. And he does a couple of years of pitching, pitching, pitching. And then he said, basically, one day he walked into the office and he had 20 voicemails and everyone was like, we need a website tomorrow. Right. And I, I do think, I mean, listen, I, I can't tell you the number of people who didn't take my calls for months and all of a sudden they're calling me in a frenzy. Right. Like I've had a couple people. That weird turning point where you're, you're outbound suddenly becomes inbound. Yeah. I mean, I've had a couple of people sort of say, oh, we'll never do this. This will never happen. And then a year later they get back to me and they're, they're begging us to do this. So like, well, the price is now 50% more. I mean, so yeah, look, so I'm sometimes like, I don't actually do that. Right. I, I, I price no, very honestly, no but it's more the type of thing where I'll fully call myself out on this. I was a magazine editor in 2008, 2009, when Twitter was really starting to take off. And I just remember looking at Twitter and being like, what is this? This is stupid. And I was like, let's make the interns do it. Right. And now it's a much bigger thing. People learn and people change and people get into this stuff. And I definitely do think it is moving forward. I think that people just have to be very clear on like, again, defining the problem, doing really good creative, because that's the thing so much. I look at training videos. And they're so bad and they're so pointless. They are so bad. The bar is so low. <laughs> and I, you know, and I, I like I wrote this thing recently and, and I know we like to joke about it and I certainly do. But if you look at like sexual harassment training, I, I teach at NYU and I had to do the NYU sexual harassment training recently. And it's it's laughably bad. It was made for $20. And it's fine to laugh at it, but it's also not because like it's a huge problem. And you're basically... Why bother doing it? Then? Well, yeah. Well, no, it's I know why you do it because in New York legally, you have to, but it's so lawyers can tick a box and say, okay, yeah, we, we did this, right? It's not yeah. about like, oh... But it, but it doesn't actually move the needle. It doesn't actually make an impact. And the thing is like, it's minimizing women's pain, right? Like this is minimizing the pain and, and the trauma that women feel when they have to deal with this. Because training about this is a joke, right? Training about diversity and inclusion, people still joke about. And it's like, it's minimizing the feelings, the real feelings and the real trauma of women and people of color and disabled people and LGBTQ people. And it's like, it's a really massive issue that goes beyond just, oh, let's just do this dumb little training for an hour that no one pays attention to. So... I think that's the real key with VR is, again, and it brings it back to the point of like, this is a good thing for workers. Courtney, let me ask a question. <laughs> Are you now or have you ever been a communist? <laughs> <laughs> Are you? Uh, no, what my question was, knowing what you know and all the projects that you've done, could you build a generic system that could be sold to multiple companies so that a company didn't have to go through all the custom, but it would just be a Here's an inclusion scenario. It's really well produced and really it touches on everything, but not specific to one company, for example. Sure. And that's what we, I mean, our Accenture, Accenture was a client on our social work project, and that is currently being used by several different social work departments all across the US. So you don't have to build something that's custom for like California or Georgia or Illinois or New York, right? It can just be training for social workers. We could also do, and we've talked about doing white label projects specific to different state regulations or different, some states have huge problems with like opioid addiction. So there is that. So yeah, I mean, a lot of our partners are doing things where basically they are then selling them on to 
a number of different consumers. It depends. Like you definitely can do something that's generic and off the shelf for certain companies or for certain scenarios. And then you need something that is more specific in other scenarios. So if you're dealing with really specific like regulations, that's one thing. If you're dealing with just sort of like, here's what you do in a situation where you're dealing with sort of discrimination, that can be more broad. So yeah, I mean, when I talk about the work that we do, nothing that we do is so incredibly specific. It can only be used by like one tiny company. What I was thinking when you mentioned your can't win platform or or project that you worked on for senior managers of every company that should mm-hmm. be mandatory oh totally put yourself, put yourself in the in the eyes of a black woman in your company in a management meeting and see how that works out for you well, i mean it's very difficult to understand what that's like if you are uh, <laughs> i'm just gonna throw it out if you're a white male executive you can't fathom what it's like to be ignored and and not included in the conversation. Here's the thing. I don't think VR can make you understand someone else's perspective. I have done a lot of VR experiences where it's like, now you're a such and such. Now you're a such and such. And I'm not. Like, I'm me. Putting on a VR headset is not going to erase almost 40 years of me being me. So what VR can do really well is not like, oh, now you're like a young black man. And you're looking at this like weird melted cartoon version of yourself. And that's supposed to have empathy. Like, No, like the second I take the headset off, I'm going to kind of forget it. What it can do is put me in a scenario where I am having those same feelings, right? Ah. So I, it's not about, oh, now you're this totally other person. It's about now you're having this new feeling. But again, the, the more we ask people to suspend a ton of disbelief in VR, the harder it's going to get. So We've actually, I've seen this in doing some testing about the can't win experience. The first draft of the can't win experience that someone else did, not us, was, uh, and that's why we got brought in. So let's say you're a woman and you're in a meeting and these men are sitting here talking about basketball and ignoring you. Okay. They put that on men and the guys were like, yeah, so like I go to a sports bar with my buddies. They're following a team I'm not following. I don't care. Right. So you can't just be like, now you're a lady. Now you're a person of color. Now you're an old person. Now you're this. Like that does not work. What works is you're you, but you're in a new situation. That's another really core belief of ours is the social worker training we built has been seen by a lot of people, which is amazing, but it's for social workers. If we're building training for like police officers, let's say the perspective is of a police officer. I've seen police officer training where it's like, constantly shifting perspectives. And I, I don't like that. I don't think that works. I think it is very confusing. Like there was a Verizon piece that came out and we didn't work on this. Um, obviously <laughs> there was a Verizon piece that came out recently and it's, it's been posted all over. It's public. It's like perspective shift. So the first perspective is you're a Verizon store employee and some guy comes in and he's mad because his phone doesn't work. And then you sort of see him and he's like, Oh, my daughter's trying to call me on her birthday and I can't get it to work. And I mean, sure. But then there's no learning, right? The, the learning in that piece should have been, okay, this guy comes in, he's clearly upset. How do I ask him the right question to help him explain why his phone doesn't work? That's the stuff that you really need to do. It's not like, oh, understand that people are upset or everyone has a story. Like, we kind of already know that. Like, you shouldn't have to teach people that. That's kind of an obvious thing. So the real thing is like, yeah, perspective shifting, it doesn't work. It's too 
clunky, it's too fragmented, it's too herky-jerky. Again, and this is, this is our sort of core design principle, is meet people where they are, right? Don't ask them to sort of suspend their disbelief once they put on a headset. Amazing. I have one last question for you, Courtney. Yeah, totally. All right. What problem in the world do you want to see solved using XR technologies? Oh, God. Um, so the biggest one, I mean, there's a lot, obviously. The, the biggest one for us is sexual harassment. And that's something we're working on right now. And I think a key thing that you can do in VR that you can't do in any other medium is really notice the nuances of someone's body language. So the VR piece that we're going to do on sexual harassment, and I'm, I can't unfortunately say who the client on this is, but it'll all, all will be revealed in time. The idea is people can say the same words to you, but their tone and their facial expression and their body language convey very different things. So the idea is basically you're having a conversation with someone, you say something that's like kind of borderline, and they'll either lean forward, they'll laugh, they'll genuinely say, oh my God, that's so funny, <laughs> right? Like they're into it, it's cool. Or you say something and they look down and they kind of look away and they shrink back and they say, that's so, so funny, <laughs> right? They're saying the same words, but every other signal is telling you different things. So again, it's really about how do you read body language and sort of handle that in social situations. And then it gives you the opportunity to course correct if you need to, because it's not like punitive, like everyone sort of said something that lands flat. So it's really about like, how do you read the room? How do you read people's expressions and read their body language? And I think that could be great for sexual harassment. It could be great for consent, deploying that on college campuses where there's a lot of issues around like affirmative consent. Like that stuff is really, really important. And that's stuff to me that I would love to dive even more deeply into than we already are. Well, it's amazing. And I think it's very needed. Courtney, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been great. Yeah, thanks for having me. Being an influencer on LinkedIn in the XR field uh, really has opened up an opportunity for us to not only understand what corporations are looking for in virtual augmented mixed reality and artificial intelligence, but also from the aspect of the startups, studios, developers, and enthusiasts out there and what they need. So what we decided to do after getting hundreds and hundreds of messages is to open up XR Ignite to the entire XR community of startups, studios, individuals, passionate people, and really to build a new community that brings together everybody who's passionate about this technology for a low cost and allow them to contribute, to learn, and to get better across the whole industry. That is really the reason why we started XR Ignite, to hyper-accelerate the XR for business industry, business and education. And one of the things that we just keep noticing is that there's so many resources out there. There's the VRAR Association, which we're partners with. There are you know, reports coming out daily, but there's no one source where people can come together and start just having conversations around how to get better in this industry. And that's why we started XR Ignite. I would encourage anybody who's listening to this podcast, if you're in the corporate side, if you're a startup, if you're an individual, if you're an enthusiast, sign up today at xrignite.com and you'll be getting access to new reports, investor lists, media lists, exclusive content, interviews with our mentors. We have over 56 mentors. And if you're a startup and you pay an annual fee, you'll actually have the opportunity to book a one-on-one, one-hour call with one of the mentors. What we're doing with that 
is we're actually recording those sessions, we're transcribing them, taking out any personal information, and we're making those transcripts available to all members. So I think XR Ignite is gonna drive a lot of value for anybody in this industry who's looking to up their game, and also for corporates who want a real insight as to what technology is coming out. So I would encourage everybody to sign up at xrignite.com, and I really look forward to driving value, executing on our mission to hyper-accelerate XR for business and education.